With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, we're live. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL Strategy Show. I'm Dave Lockren. Back again. It's been about 10-minute hiatus for me, but I come bearing gifts. It's a marathon 11-game breakdown with my man, Matt Savoka. Follow the man on Twitter at Draftaholic. Get that follower count up. Tweet some good stuff. The man knows his football. He knows his analytics. And he's here to talk to us about everything for week 11. You guys know it. If you've been watching this show all season, there's no other place you need to be to get ready for week 11, right? Like if you only have one day out of the week to prepare, not including Sunday, this is where you should be, right? If you're listening after we recorded in podcast form right now, available in any podcast platform (laughs) out there. Uh, If you're listening after we recorded on YouTube or you're live with us, what's going on, everybody? Hit that thumbs up and subscribe. Help us get the 50K by the end of the year. Make that your Christmas present to us. And, you know, in turn, it'll be great for you as well because you'll always know when we're going live. It'll show up more in your browse, your recommended feature. Bing, bang, boom. And if you hate it, just hit unsubscribe. It's as simple as that. But I think you'll want to stay. Matt, what's up, brother? Hey, man, when we talk about midseason form, that's what we're talking about. What an opening monologue. All right. <laughs> I love the energy. Here we go. Guys, that's this is a do, great man. slate. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. We do. I mean, I, I'm excited to start this off. We got uh, – actually, the totals are a little bit lower than usual, but uh, some really great spots to attack. You know, I thought the same thing. Actually, it's, it's not really even a thought. It's <laughs> I, I, I noticed the same thing. Uh, out, yeah, tonight's game – which the showdown show with Matt Gajewski and I just concluded. So if you're checking out showdown content, that's right here on the awesome YouTube channel. Uh, but that is a 56 and a half point total. The primetime game between Kansas city and Las Vegas is at 57. Remember the last two, the last time those guys played uh, yep. ruined a monster parlay for me. And I was <laughs> miserable for a week because of that one. But that game had a lot of scoring, and it was mostly the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Then, Matt, the highest total for this week on the main slate, 11 games, 51 points. Yeah, it's it's a weird kind of week. And, you know, sometimes that happens. You know, all the primetime slates get all the good games. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're going to deal with here. But like I said before, we got some really, really nice spots, some great places to attack, and some weird point spreads that we talked about right before the show. We'll get there in a minute. All right. 
Brian Cotton says you guys have given some terrible advice of late. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you. you hanging out with us, man. Hey, thanks for being here. All support is welcome. Let's jump into it. Atlanta <laughs> and New Orleans. The uh, Atlanta Falcons facing off against very likely the Jameis Winston-led Saints here with Drew Brees sidelined for what could be a decent period of time. The, the Falcons, right now, their status, as far as Calvin Ridley goes, is questionable. Limited participant yesterday. He, uh, we'll see if he plays. You know, so many coaches recently have been like, oh, yeah, we're hopeful that they'll play. And then they're ruled out later that day, Matt. So I'm just making no assessments anymore and waiting to see what practice participation looks like on days like this. But uh, right now, the Atlanta Falcons have one of the higher implied totals on the slate, but it's not even that high. It's at 22 and a half. Um, they're five point dogs in a 50 point total game against the Saints. Yeah. And, you know, you understand why the Saints still have a great offense around them, even though there's that uncertainty related to Jameis Winston. I'm certainly excited to see it, to be honest. Uh, the Saints have been one of the pass happiest teams in the league in neutral situations. If you look at true early down pass rate, but if you look at air yards per second of play, they're one of the, uh, they throw the shortest in their time with the ball. And that has to do with Drew Brees' arm strength, most likely. Jameis Winston, fresh off that LASIK surgery in the offseason. Hopefully oh, we start throwing downfield a little bit more. And the Falcons are probably going to have to keep pace. And you know the Falcons' offense. They're top five in pass attempts per game. Matt Ryan, you know, is going to sling the ball all around. He once again is in the top 12 quarterbacks in expected points and average fantasy points per game. And he's got an ownership that puts him under 4%. That's only in the top 12 quarterbacks again for a team that has one of the highest totals of an of an underdog i don't mind getting to him even though he's the seventh highest salary quarterback on the slate you want to know how that lasik is bullshit (laughs) not because i've not because i've gotten lasik but the man got lasik surgery after a contract year after he (laughs) he he was in a contract year yeah He's the founder of the 30-30 club, the only player to ever throw 30 touchdowns and 30 picks in the same year. And then after that, at its conclusion, he's like, you know what? LASIK might help. Come on, Matt. I, I feel like maybe uh, at Florida State, LASIK could have helped. And then you could have yeah, exactly. gotten, exactly. gotten a little better there. But uh, I, was jo- I was joking around. If you use an optimizer this week, don't exclude the Falcons defense, if you're playing the Saints quarterbacks or a stack, don't exclude them because you could have big games on both sides there in a way that we don't always see the Jameis Winston special, baby. It's actually true, too, because pick sixes can be good for quarterbacks. You know, if, they get if you, right back on the field. Yeah. You throw a pick six and let's say the Falcons just drove down the field. Matt Ryan, beautiful corner end zone touchdown pass to Julio Jones. Jameis Winston trots the offense back out there. Touchback, starting at the 25. Boom, chucks it downfield to Emmanuel Sanders. Picked off 50 yards to the house. Now it's 14 nothing. Winston's right back on the field, and guess what happens? You abandon the run game. So crazier things have happened. We've seen Winston and opposing defenses work on more than one occasion. So whether you're joking or not, there is actually some truth to that situation. Who are your favorite plays from Atlanta? Well, we've said this before with this offense. The offense is significantly more explosive when they have Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones on the field. No analyst has to tell you guys that. 
But at the same time, I'm still projecting this offense as if Calvin Ridley is going to play. I know there's still a chance he won't play. I'm focusing mostly on Ridley because of that discount and the uncertainty related to the injury. But of course, I'm going to have some Julio Jones, especially if he doesn't play here. One of the things that I definitely have said before on the show is don't expect the Falcons to hit their total if one of Jones or Ridley misses. So I definitely am going to the passing game much more likely than I'm going to Todd Gurley. And the Osmo projections totally back that up. They think that the 16th highest salary among running backs, that's not including Christian McCaffrey, of course, is just too steep. They're, they're way off them in terms of that projection versus salary-based expectation. Spencer, you're absolutely right. Laz gets fit. No doubt that guy is playing the defense with Jameis Winston. Last year on the strategy show, Matt, we, we, we went over lineup studies on Mondays, and there's a guy named Laz gets fit. He actually reached out to me after that. He's like, hey, I'm the guy you're talking about. And I had to vet him. I didn't even know if it was real or if it was messy. So I vet him, uh, and th- he won like $300,000 one week playing two pass catchers against his defense. And then the next week, one, I think it was like, you guys would know better than me. I think a quarter mil again with his defense against two pass catchers back to back weeks or like two times in four weeks, something like that. Can you imagine something like that? The process, it was insane. So we've been trying to get him on the show for a while now. Hey, I love that story. And and you know what? That is actually a great lesson because if we have, we know all these correlations, we know all these general rules about stacking quarterbacks, wide receivers, running it back, running backs related to their defenses. Everyone at this point in DFS kind of knows that or gets a feel for that as they're creating lineups. It's the areas where you can differentiate, where you can know the rules to break the rules that can sometimes help you win huge money. So I love that story because that exemplifies it perfectly. How about New Orleans? Jameis Winston, you've got um, one of the one of the big questions we've had all week was Taysom Hill on FanDuel, where he's $4,500 at the tight end spot. Assuming he gets worked in more with Drew Brees' sideline, that could be an interesting conversation. And then the highest-priced running back on the slate with Christian McCaffrey out is going to be Alvin Kamara at $9,200. And Mike, Michael Thomas coming off two really disappointing weeks since returning from that long hiatus uh, that he suffered early in the season. How are you breaking down the Saints here? Yeah, I mean, obviously you're most excited about Alvin Kamara just from a raw points standpoint. No one has to tell anybody that. He's leading the lead in quality opportunities per game. That's targets or rushes inside the 10-yard line. But you got to remember here that if you look at schedule adjusted fantasy points, the Falcons are one of the best teams in the league against running backs. They're actually giving up five less points per game than the opponent's season long averages. So the Osmo projections kind of reflect that this week in Alvin Kamara. They certainly have him inside the top five, but they do not have him at the number one spot like his salary says he's going to be now. That doesn't mean Alvin Kamara doesn't have a 30-point or more game in his range of outcomes here, especially in one of the highest total slates. He's a home favorite. We know what that means fundamentally. But you are seeing a little bit of reduced ownership. You're seeing only a projection of 13%. That's eighth highest among running backs. So in a weird way, Kamara gets to be this semi-contrarian option. I don't hate it at all this week, but it's not quite as... Uh, it's a little bit thinner of a play than Kamara typically is. Do you have any tertiary plays from the Saints? 
I think Emmanuel Sanders gets an extra look here, especially if you assume Jameis Winston is going to throw more or throw downfield more. Uh, I saw that Deontay Harris actually was second on the team uh, or third on the team after Thomas and Kamara in targets last week. I don't necessarily expect that. Um, It looks like the projections have Sanders and Thomas essentially right in line with salary expectations. So it doesn't mean that they don't, it just means that they don't pop off the page. It, it really is a little bit of a wait and see, but as we said before on the show, sometimes we want to ride that uncertainty wave if those players are going to be more uh, more owned or higher priced later on this season. Put them on the jersey. That's right, John Musto. And John V says Dan gets his own jersey. Matt, $100 super chat from Daniel Mardoff right wow. now. Says this is my favorite football show during the week. Usually watch it three times. Have a few beers on me, and thank you both for your content. We really appreciate you, man. Hey, cheers, man. That's awesome. I got, you know what? Name's going big on the jersey. It's got to go big on the bottom of the jersey. You put a $100 Super Chat out there, we should be able to see that from space, Matt. Put it on Google Maps. Let's go. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Hey, thanks Thanks, a lot, man. Appreciate that support. Detroit and Carolina. We've got the, uh, the Detroit Lions becoming a relatively fun team with the emergence of DeAndre Swift. And I must say, Matt, even if he's going to be a little bit chalky this week, and, and my initial assumption is he is, you can check our ownership projections out at, at awesomeo.com. You know that. I still like him. We saw earlier in the year where he had that 14-carry game, um, and you said, okay, things are starting to look up. But at the same time, Adrian Peterson saw 15 carries in that very same game. Now... You've got him coming into a game where he just had 16 carries last week, five targets, so 21 total looks, 13 and five the week prior to that, 18 total looks. Adrian Peterson now is beginning to see that uh, that that offensive involvement kind of dissolve here. He's seen four attempts and only five looks, and then eight attempts the week before he did have five targets. But DeAndre Swift appears to clearly be pulling away from the pack here, and to me, that's pretty exciting, Matt. Oh, it really is. And there was a there was a Rappaport tweet, I think, like an hour before game time that sort of hinted at this fact. So if you were uh, looking at late game inactives or maybe watching the YouTube shows, uh, they might have been able to hint you in at the fact that DeAndre Swift actually became a great play right around 12, 15 p.m. last week. And yeah, it was really exciting. We've seen these second round picks in these last few years. Once they're unleashed, they're completely unleashed. Uh, Joe Mixon comes to mind. Dalvin Cook comes to mind. The minute they get the opportunity share that we finally saw the the Lions give to DeAndre Swift, they deliver in huge ways. And you know what? The Osmo projections are right back on Swift this week. Even at the 11th highest salary among running backs, the projections completely smashed that, put him inside the top five. But the one thing we have to mention, it looks like you're not going to be alone, as you mentioned, Dave. Uh, it actually looks like his ownership is going to approach 16%, which is higher than Alvin Kamara that we just mentioned. It's fifth among running backs this week. So I I do love the play. And if you look at expected fantasy points, DeAndre Swift is getting all the quality looks. He actually already ranks in the top 13 running backs while Adrian Peterson, this is including the whole season stats is outside of the top 35 So they were always giving those high leverage looks to Swift, but now they're giving everything to Swift. They're giving goal line carries. They're giving first and second down carries. And that just is giving him more opportunities to create. And it's really exciting for this offense. 
Uh, not to mention the fact we've definitely said this before. The Lions are still more of a running based team yep. than we've seen Matt Stafford led teams be in the past. So just remember that going forward. And Carolina, despite a lot of young players and inexperience, has done a good job in the secondary. Good enough, right? They've done a good enough job. But Matt, they've been blasted on the ground. We saw last week Ronald Jones became the fourth player ever to score a 98-yard rushing touchdown. You better believe that came against Carolina. Uh, he had really his best performance ever, uh, best performance yeah. in, his, in his young career, not even close. Unless you guys can point something out, I don't think he's ever come close to that. Uh, the Carolina Panthers can really be beat up on the ground. Uh, and, and I love this spot for Swift. 16%, not going to lie. I'm not that concerned about it. I'm willing to get there. I don't think he's overpriced. I think your analysis there is spot on though, Matt. But more than anything, seeing him go this way and Adrian Peterson go this way is really all I care about. So. Right. I think that's really well said. And another exciting thing for the offense in general, Kenny Galladay returned to practice. Just like we said about the Falcons, when Kenny Galladay returns to the Lions, you can assume the probability of them hitting the over of their game just completely skyrockets. We definitely want him in, even if we're playing the running backs. All right. So on the other, actually, before we move to, before we move to the Panthers, because I have a lot, I think we all have a lot to say on the Panthers. Pretty fun team this year. The Detroit Lions are uh, nursing an injury with Matthew Stafford not practicing yesterday with an ailing thumb. We'll have to pay close attention to that. Um, on the other side, or sorry, as far as the pass catchers go, Kenny Galladay uh, was a limited participant with that hip injury yesterday. Marvin Jones grabbed a Q tag, didn't practice with a knee injury either. And Danny, Am Danny Amendola <laughs> wasn't spotted at practice yesterday either, also tending to a hip injury. I don't necessarily know what the hell's going on here, but there's a possibility that either they're just getting some days off, and we've seen that many times, Matt, especially with veterans like Amendola and with Marvin Jones. But Kenny, Kenny Galladay was a limited participant. He, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he sits and, and a couple of these guys sit. Who knows what to think with the pass-catching options here for Detroit this week? Yeah, definitely pay attention to those late-game inactives, the Sunday morning reports there. But there's a chance that the Lions get to be at full strength. And there's also the small possibility that they're without Stafford, Galladay, Jones, and Hawkinson. Obviously, DeAndre Swift gets much less exciting if you're talking about a field of backups around him. But I think I'm leaning towards most, if not all of them, being in this week. Okay. You think well, as, far as, I, as far as I know right now, I think the one with the least likely chance of playing is Galladay because we just don't know if the limited basis is just to get his body going and he needs another week, or uh, it's possible that he's ready to go. The Marvin Jones injury is new, so we definitely have to keep track of that as well. For sure. Joshua with the $10 Super Chat says, throw this in with it. Appreciate you, man. On the jersey you go. Thank you for that support. Thank you. Do you have any preferred options for Detroit, or right now do you just want to wait and see what happens with Stafford? Yeah, and they're also they also have higher salaries than I would have ex expected. Hawkinson once again way inside the top ten. He's seventh in salary. The projections aren't that high on him right now. Obviously, he has a chance of a blow up game, especially if he's getting a large majority of the target share if Galladay's not in. But you know, I, I don't mind him so much at forty two hundred. I just think there's better values. Um, Marvin Hall possibly if everyone sits. Otherwise, I'm just really excited about Galladay if he gets back on the field. Yeah, 5,800. I'll take that all day long. 
Uh, Carolina, you want to talk about injuries as well. Teddy Bridgewater, limited capacity of practice yesterday. The, the thing too is that when you're when you're nursing a knee injury, you have to be you have to be somewhat concerned about that. But if he was on the field again, I'll assume he's going to play. PJ Walker, the XFL stud, made me a ton of money betting last year. If he comes in, maybe that's a conversation we can have. But uh, in the Awesome Top Stack toy yesterday, when I went over this with. Matt Kajeski and Kyle Dvorak, because you guys know we do the strategy show seven days a week, 11 Eastern, and then uh, it all concludes with a four-hour marathon, 9 Eastern to 1 p.m. all the way up until lock on Sunday. But um, not to get away from the the point here, Matt, in our top stacks tool, the Carolina Panthers have a very high top stack probability. Actually, Alex Baker, who created this tool, has them with the highest top stack probability on the slate at 11.5%. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that. And I use that stop, top stack probability myself as a baseline for my exposures on quarterbacks each week. Just using that for my probabilities of getting two exposures eventually, I was surprised to see that Teddy Bridgewater carrying that questionable tag is going to be, as long as he plays, one of the highest owned quarterbacks in my lineups this week. And you know what? I completely understand If you look at schedule adjusted fantasy points, I do think the most exciting player is still Mike Davis, but I completely, I completely don't mind going to these stacks with Bridgewater and Anderson. And we finally saw DJ Moore wake up with a 20 plus point game. Yeah. Last week, it was finally great to see him. I think I lamented and said that it looked like the way that Bridgewater was throwing didn't line up with Moore's strengths. Well, I get to eat my words after that huge output last week. So I see that on the Osmo projections, Robbie Anderson comes in in the top five among wide receivers. He's outside the top 12 in salary. So that looks like a great value there. And DJ Moore looks like a value as well outside of salary-based expectations. So again, I completely understand why we're getting to this, get this game in general. Davis still the favorite play there after letting us down, but I'm fine with these stacks, especially after the top stack number one ranking from Alex Osmo Baker. Yeah, the the Mike Davis play, like last week, a lot of the reasoning where you heard people like Alex and a lot of amazing players say, I'm all over Mike Davis is because just could he have busted? Yeah, and he he wasn't great. I had plenty of lineups without him, but I also had a ton of lineups with him because of what it opened up. At 4K, it allows you to do pretty much anything else you want. Now, it's a bit of hyperbole, but it allows you to do a ton, right? And... Now that his price is up this high, Davis at 20% projected ownership to me uh, is, is kind of egregious. And maybe it sounds like we might disagree on this a little bit, but you know, if I'm going to see him at, at, at 20, almost 21%, and now that he's up to 6,800, I would rather go to a Miles Sanders, who we have at, at 9%. There's just a lot of mid 6K guys in a similar price point or even cheaper that are getting a half of the ownership. Mike Davis at 21% is a little bit a little bit too much for me, Matt. Hey, I think that's totally fair. The the thought experiment I kind of did early in the week was what if Christian McCaffrey had played last week and gotten injured last week and now we saw Mike Davis at 6800 and at 20% expected ownership. I think we would be very excited about that play, especially when you consider the matchup. Detroit giving up 10 and a half fantasy points more 
than this than the average fantasy points of their running back opponents. That's worst in the league by four points per game. So that's one of the reasons why I really like Davis just fundamentally this week. Uh, one of the calculations I like to do is something called expected projection, where I look at the PFF expected fantasy points, and then I simply add that metric I just said, fantasy points over uh, opponent average, and I see where they line up. And Mike Davis, of course, is in the top two running backs this week in that metric. So I think the seventh overall salary for running backs is fair for him. Uh, the ownership's going to be high. We're probably going to move away from him in tournaments, especially large field, but I think it's a great play this week. All right. Detroit at Carolina is a pick 'em with a 47 and a half point total. Philly at Cleveland also has a 47 and a half point total. The Cleveland Browns laying three and a half points. I saw something that they hadn't beat this, the Philly or the Eagles in, in 16 years. Now, granted, if you know how scheduling works in the NFL, uh, an AFC division plays the an NFC division once every four years. So, when they say haven't beat them in 16 years, I'm assuming they mean three times in a row they've lost, and this would be the 16th year because you only play them once every four years. Right. But, you know, nevertheless, Cleveland is definitely better than they were. They will be without Odell Beckham for the year. They got Nick Chubb back, but we'll start with Philly. Carson Wentz. People love making excuses for this guy, but I'm a real. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It has been a struggle. I know the offensive line hasn't been good. I do blame a lot on the play calling. Hell, you could fire Doug Peterson for all I care. He's Ooh, shots fired. What's up? Shots fired. You're ready to go. Oh, shots have been fired, man. <laughs> but you know, he, he they still give him. He's got a long leash because they won. He won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. so that's fine. I'm happy we won it. But you know, I'm a salty person, and uh, I have amnesia when it comes to good things. It's easy to think about the bad. Wentz has struggled, and. They won't run the ball to Miles Sanders despite him averaging six yards per carry this season. And Travis Fulgham's been good coming off a bad week, but James Bradbury will do that to you. Jalen Rager, well, we could have had Justin Jefferson. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, <laughs> Alshon Jeffrey's been hurt. Deshaun Jackson's back on the IR. Zach Ertz is expected to return from the IR. Uh, and I think Dallas Goddard still remains a pretty good play at a sub-4K price point. But, you know, it's it's been an Eagles team that a lot of us have – have said, hey, they could be a good fantasy team this week, a good stack, and almost every single week they failed to come through. Hey, that's a that's a solid but unfortunate analysis of your favorite team right now. Yeah, Carson. I'm honestly, what- being objective though, Matt, like I'm saying, they have not been good. And oh, I agree. I there's agree. a lot of Eagles fans that I have to 
metaphorically slap across the face and say, just stop making excuses for them. They are not good. Yeah, I, I mean, Carson Wentz throwing for under five and a half yards per attempt, two straight games now yep. against NFC East opponents. It's yep. really egregious right now. And we like the Philly offense as a fantasy option when they're throwing a ton and when they're throwing downfield. But the bottom line is they haven't thrown for over 40 pass attempts since week seven. So you're not even getting a lot of volume. And like I said, the efficiency is pretty atrocious. He's thrown two touchdowns and two interceptions over his last two weeks. It's really nothing impressive there. And he's not rushing the ball like we saw him do previously in his career. Now, I was surprised to see in PFF's expected fantasy points. He's actually number seven in expected fantasy points, but number 26 among quarterbacks this year in fantasy points above or below expectation. He's just really playing worse than you would expect him to play. Now, if you look at that, those expected points and you add the schedule-adjusted fantasy points against quarterbacks, his projection actually looks pretty good. Puts him in the top three quarterbacks against the Browns this week. But like you said, it's simply a thinner play because we can't trust the offense in general. Yes, of course it's good that Zach Ertz is returning to the fold, that Alshon Jeffrey is getting healthier, that Jalen Rager hasn't been a bad pick by any stretch. He just hasn't been as effective as Justin Jefferson. Right. They were always going to be compared. They went back or and forth. Or T. Higgins. Yeah. And, and, you know, they all went within, what, 10 picks of each other, Justin Jefferson and Rager back-to-back. Yeah. I and Higgins was the first pick in the second round. So they're forever connected, a little bit like that 2014 class. We're always going to compare them. And there's by no means is Rager having a bad rookie year but he's stymied a bit by the offensive inefficiency in general. Hey, then we'll take a step back and say like all of them have a chance in this spot. I still like Travis Fulgham as the big play threat, but you'll probably see Zach Ertz start to siphon off that typical six targets for 60 yards and the possibility of a touchdown as well. So then we factor in salary and it looks like Fulgham is a little bit steep. He's inside the top 25 receivers in salary this week. Maybe Rager makes a little bit more sense at just 4,300. I certainly am not playing Greg Ward or Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, The awesome projections this week really like Dallas Goddard, though. Even more than I expected, they have him inside the top five. Maybe that's because they don't expect Zach Ertz to play at this point, but uh, that was really surprising when I ran the projections versus salary the first time this week. For sure. And that could definitely be it. Travis Fogum, they need to force the ball to Travis Fogum and not say, oh, we got Alshon Jeffrey and, 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 and a couple of players back, so let's face him out of the offense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, his price is down, but I, I'm still, I can't justify getting it. I, I, these guys are, it's been so rough. If you watched last week, maybe one of those balls was catchable to Fogum. There's one that looked like a drop, and then if you play it back, it was, a, it was, it was 10 feet behind him, and he had to, completely contort his body to try and get there. Carson Wentz can't throw an accurate football right now. So uh, I'll go with the cheap guys. I'll go with Dallas Goddard and, and, and hope that at a really bad tight end position where there's no one north of 4,900, that he could give me five for 60 and I'll be okay. That's what I'm looking at. I just don't have any faith there. Uh, and it's unfortunate because Miles Sanders is excellent and I still want to take some shots on him. He still runs some deep routes. Carson Wentz just can't hit him on those routes, but he'll run them. And he has breakaway ability with long run, huge play potential. Miles Sanders at that price, if he's going to be half the ownership of Mike Davis, I'll take that all day long. But I'm just, the the passing game right now, I don't want to pay for anybody. 
uh, the only one is a tight end. It's a bad position. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, on the you're other not side, alone there, though. He looks like he's the third highest tight end in o- expected ownership right now. Yeah, so that's but what's just it, like 7 8%? Yeah, 8%. You're right. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's that, significantly lower. Than it's so flat players. when you're looking at tight end this week. Uh, he's 8%, but if you scroll all the way down to Robert Tanyan or Ebron, Ebron's 6%, and he's, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. There's, there's just – it's so flat. I'm not really too concerned about that this week. I hear you a bad position. Jarvis Landry is at least interesting because in the two games that he's played without Odell Beckham Jr. this year, back-to-back the last two, they've both been crazy win games that featured absolutely no scoring whatsoever, 17 and 22 total points, Matt. Um, Now he gets a game where you're probably going to see Darius Slay going up, mostly matched up with guys like Higgins. Jarvis Landry runs – the majority of his snaps out of the slot, or at least I think it's 51% last time I looked. So he should avoid Slay, who hasn't even been that great to begin with. Is this a spot where we could look towards Landry? I don't think it's the worst call, but let's just be honest with ourselves here. This offense is centered around Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They received almost three-fourths of the opportunities last week. And yes, They've had multiple weather-related games in a row. And, of course, they wanted to work Nick Chubb into the offense in his first game back. But I still think the offensive identity of the Kevin Stefanski Browns is going to be those running backs. And that's where I'm going to look first. Can I play Chubb or Hunt first? Now, yes, I I completely agree. I think Jarvis Landry's salary is the 24th highest wide receiver, 5,500 on the DraftKings main slate is a fair price. But then when we look at his actual usage, his expected fantasy points is outside the top 50 receivers. And he's actually underperforming in terms of fantasy points under expectation per game. Uh, It's almost a point less per game than we would expect. So again, I I know part of that is because we've had weather-related games and he was the number two wide receiver and coming off of surgery. But I still think it's a relatively thin play compared to the running backs. The Osmo projections, however, do have him as a little bit of a value based on salary expectations. He's just outside the top 20 in projections this week. Okay. Yeah, I don't really have anything else from this one. I'm I'm willing to sprinkle in some Landry. But this game just feels like, honestly, to me, Matt, this feels like one of those games that that finishes 20 to 17 and is just a really ugly performance from both sides of the field do you have any other interest in Higgins or or any other pass catching options for the Cleveland Browns I have a little bit of interest there simply because Philadelphia has been better against primary wide receivers than they have secondary or tertiary wide receivers again if we're looking at the schedule adjusted fantasy points metric I keep mentioning Philadelphia for all their woes on defense and offense this year actually ranks best in the league in schedule adjusted fantasy points two primary wide receivers that's based on DraftKings pricing and eliminating injuries so again that's a little bit of a knock on Landry and possibly something that lets me get to Higgins but it's not something where I'm super excited excited about especially when we know so many of the opportunities are probably funneled to the running backs okay New England and Houston here's another fun one the uh I had somebody on Twitter. Did I tell you about this, Matt? <clears throat> I had mentioned that I was enjoying watching the Patriots potentially lose to the Jets. Now, I don't really care. I just sometimes like to poke the bear. Yeah. Uh, and it would be great because 
Belichick had never lost five games in a row. And somebody tweets me, he goes, and this guy would tweet me often, you know, just very confrontational, but whatever. I, I always, I, I take the bait. I can't help it, right? <laughs> uh, and I shouldn't have said that. And uh, he goes, well, they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. They're only one and a half back. I'm like, well, no, they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. I guarantee it. And he goes as far to say as, well, what are you talking about? They're only one and a half games back of the last spot. And ready, this is where it gets good. Bill Belichick is the only coach smart enough to know how to tank properly. I said, what are you talking about? You don't, just because this guy has been a phenomenal coach when it comes to actual success, are you, are you going to go as far to tell me that he can tank better than other coaches? Adam Gase wants to win games and he's tanking. <laughs> how, right? do, how do you teach tanking? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You're, Maybe I'll buy this guy's book. If he has a teaching tanking book in right. the NFL, I will buy that book and I will read it and then right. I'll, I will vet it. But right. that makes no like, sense. <laughs> so what, what, what evidence is there to suggest that Bill Belichick is good at tanking because he's a good coach? And he goes, well, what evidence is there to say he isn't? It's like the fact that he's never had to tank. So then, oh boy. Then and 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 he's like, "Well, we lose this game, we'll only be one game back." And I say, like, "Okay, I'll see you at the comeback." So the Patriots come back and win the game, and I'm typing it up. This is some dude with like 20 followers, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, it doesn't look like he wants to tank, does it?" Send this tweet no longer exists, and I and he blocked me. Oh, so that is how you make arguments and make your points in 2020 matt if you're wrong you block someone before they can respond and then you delete all your tweets just thought i'd put that out there what a world we live in <laughs> yeah also stuff, it, it just right? like if we try to take it a- actually seriously for a moment football doesn't again this is my opinion football doesn't, doesn't really seem like a sport where you can tank because people are going to get hurt if they don't go physically all out every yeah. play you can change the personnel on the field but even then we're talking about nfl football players if they bring in a practice squad guy he's still an nfl level football player going all out it just doesn't make a lot of sense at all for sure now the point <laughs> i was getting at though matt is simple bill belichick's not trying to lose games like Correct. this team wants to win games right now and guess what they are they came back after an ugly start against the Jets. They got that win, dropped 30 points. It's their highest point total since week three. And then they went in and they beat up on Lamar Jackson in Baltimore in a monsoon. So I'm not, I'm not. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus writing bill off quite yet I say Belichick because I think obviously he is the mastermind behind all of this. 
They're two and a half point favorites. And this game, as a matter of fact, has the third highest total on the slate at 49. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of surprised by it. The Houston offense tends to find itself in shootouts because of their bad defense and pass-oriented offense that tends to, well, I shouldn't say tends to, that in the past has been efficient. We've seen in some recent weeks where they've been able to get things going, though the Jaguars game is possibly just because they were playing the Jaguars here. And I, I don't necessarily see it as popping off the page quite like some of the other spots here but once again when looking at things from a pure projection standpoint or a probability standpoint the patriots are number two or excuse me the texans are number two in the top stack tool this week so we're definitely going to be getting a lot of deshaun watson his projection comes in higher better than his fifth overall salary at the quarterback position and even duke johnson who definitely has the running back role essentially to himself because david johnson is still on ir only had his salary rise four hundred dollars to fifty four hundred that is a player we absolutely want to target even though the patriots aren't exactly a, a bad run defense just it's a fundamental misprice for a running back that we know is going to get a lot of opportunities and then of course we go to the pass catchers it looks like both Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller have projections inside better than their salary-based expectations. And I think it makes a lot of sense here. We've seen the Patriots struggle against wide receivers more so than last year. They're 21st in the league in against primary seat receivers. And actually, they're fourth worst in the league against secondary receivers, which makes me really interested in a player like Brandon Cooks, especially because when Brandon Cooks hits, he often hits very big. So he leads I, the I like team in targets. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned ahead. it last week, Matt. No, it's a great breakdown. I mentioned, sorry, yesterday on the show that might've been on the first look show on Tuesday that Brandon cooks is every week priced a thousand dollars or more below Will Fuller. Will Fuller's great. I tweeted at the beginning of the year before the season started one of Brandon cooks and Will Fuller, or maybe both if they stay healthy are going to be the reason, you know, someone wins their fantasy leagues. Now, have they been stellar? No, but being drafted in the eighth, ninth, even 10th round at some spots in season long leagues goes to show you that they were undervalued from the start, Matt. And I think Brandon cooks, because he dealt with some concussions, even though he had four straight years with a thousand yards and didn't miss more than one or two games over that stretch was undervalued and labeled and termed injury prone, which I hate his price. And you're right against the Seattle or new England secondary that has not been up to snuff. They have not been as advertised. That makes sense to me in a game that has a pretty surprising 49 point total. I'm with you here, man. Yeah. And, and I think too, we were seeing the targets for the Houston offense consolidate around their main options, which is something we love to see. So we don't have to worry as much about these tight ends here, or even Kenny Stills or Randall Cobb. They're being phased out in general here. Though Randall Cobb has a very, very modest salary. If you wanted to get this game because it's so high on the top stack tool and you wanted to save some salary, I understand having like a Watson Cobb or Watson Cobb Cooks kind of stack so that you can move your salary and move it elsewhere in this game. But again, I'm looking at those primary those primary options there in Fuller and Cooks only. Right. Most excuse me. Top plays from this game before we move on both sides. Uh, just remember, Cam Newton's still getting a ton of goal line usage. If you look at uh, the running back stat that I tend to look at, quality opportunities, that's targets 
and rushes inside the 10. Obviously, Cam Newton's not getting a lot of targets. He's still in the top 10 among all players in quality opportunity share, getting 26% of the Patriots' quality opportunities. And you know that's all 100% goal line carries. Touchdowns are what we're looking for in fantasy football, especially at running. So we always love Cam Newton for that uh, for that part. And in a high total game, that means more implied po- points for both teams, possibly more red zone trips opportunities for him. He's still within the top 10 quarterbacks in fa- expected fantasy points per game, even though he's underperforming expectations by about a point and a half per game. It's not like the Patriots are bad on the top stack tool either. They're sixth among all teams this week. So I like it a lot, Cam. And you can play him naked, but you could also play him with uh, somebody like Jacoby Myers, who is really, really shown up as the number one receiver. He's still outside the top 30 in wide receiver salaries. The the expectation and the projection for him, much, much better than that. Damian Harris has 85 rush attempts on the season. Six of them have come inside the 20, only one inside the five. Uh, Conversely, Cam Newton has 80 rushing attempts. 25 have come in the red zone, 19 inside the 10 and 14 inside of the five. Almost 50% of New England's red zone rushing attempts have gone to Cam Newton, 47 to be exact. 23% have gone to Rex Burkhead, only 11% to Damian Harris. So before we move on, Matt, that's just one thing that that, that get, kind of snags you up here is Damian Harris is getting a big workload. You need touchdowns from these guys that don't catch passes, though. And Damian Harris, despite seeing, what was it, 22 carries last week? We can't rely on him to get those opportunities inside the, in goal-to-go situations. Well, that's the problem. So Damian Harris has been extremely efficient on his rushes this yep. year. But like you said, he's not getting any high leverage touches. So we need him to break huge runs, which is never something we really want to count on, even for a player that we Unless are... you're a pass-catching back, too, then we, can, then we can deal with it. And he's not the pass-catching back. He's actually at the best third in line because Burkhead and White are both getting more targets per game than him in the backfield. So it just lowers the ceiling there. Of course, Damian Harris can score touchdowns the way he's been playing, but he just needs to be incredibly efficient to do it because he's probably not getting those inside the five touches, like you said. I'm with you. All right. Tennessee and Baltimore. That $100 super chat's still up there at the top of the chat, man. That's that's the biggest super chat we've ever gotten. That's epic. uh, Yeah. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. It's still there. I guess the the bigger it is, the longer it lingers. I don't know. It's <laughs> super duper chat. Yeah. How about there that? There we go. Tennessee at Baltimore. We've got the uh the Baltimore Ravens coming off a loss to New England. Dude, do you know their 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 win total, their Vegas total opened in some books at 13 and a half this year? I've never hit the under so quick in my life. In my wow. life. 13 and a half. They got to win out to, oh no, at 13 and a half, they're done. Yeah. It's done already. Dude, wow. In a league with as much parity as the NFL, I don't care how good of a team you are or how good you were last year. I'll never take something like that. Shit, I won't even take 13 and push on 13. It just doesn't make much sense. So many things. Not even bad is the thing, but they've already lost that bet. That's right. Great job. No, no, no. I know, but with COVID, just potential injuries, I'm good on that. Wanted to throw it out there, though, because while they've been good, we heard Lamar Jackson say on Rich Eisen's podcast the other day that he is hearing defenders calling out the plays before they run them. This is not the same team that we saw last year. And um, 
you know, you're beginning to you're beginning to hear some whispers about Greg Roman and the Colin Kaepernick days and how teams figure out his offense. But uh, I'll let you kick it off here. The Ravens are still favored here, which is, you know, something to be said. Six point favorites. Yeah. And uh, it I still think it makes sense for them to be the favorite in this game. But like you said, we have seen a little bit of this in the past. I think that's a great point about Greg Roman's rush-based offense getting figured out over time. And in general, in the NFL, we see we see more upside in a passing-based attack and more consistency year-to-year on passing metrics. So I'm not surprised we're seeing a huge amount of variance on such a run-heavy team this year. And it's not like the talent has gone away entirely, but we do have to mention that tight end, the tight end position matters a ton for the running game of all teams, but especially the Ravens. And if you talk about a personnel grouping that changed most from last year to this year, the Ravens tight end room is one of the largest turnover rooms that we can really think of in terms of uh, offensive importance to a singular team. I didn't really make much of it as I was projecting the teams to begin the year, but I'm starting to think it was a much bigger deal that Max Williams and Hayden Hurst are no longer on the teams. Uh, so I, I just think that it's still the same type of offense, but it might not have the wrinkles it once had, especially with Nick Boyle now on injured reserve after that gruesome leg injury. Feel terrible for the guy. Uh, he's one of the Brutal. best blocking tight ends in the league. So we might see some deficiencies there as they get used to that. Did you rewatch? I, I'm a, I don't know, man. I, I'm. <laughs> That, yeah, I, I rewatched it a couple times, but didn't I okay, didn't love so it. So you did. You you have watched it's it. It's a little okay. bit a little bit of a little bit of human nature, I will admit, but it sucks. anyone that says it they're sucks. not remotely not fascinated, but you kind of it's it's instinctual, like you were saying. You kind of have to see it. Well, I feel horrible for Boyle. Exactly. The video, you hear the 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 crack instantaneously. You see the lower leg bend in a 90-degree angle. lower, And I'm not talking knee to thigh. I'm talking about the lower leg, like the shit. And then you hear, this is the worst part to me, the Patriots defensive player immediately, almost simultaneously, bang, bang, goes, oh, Jesus, and starts yeah. waving to the sidelines. Yeah. And that's when you know he saw something that he's never going to unsee, yeah. you know? It's it's so tough. And, and you know, it was... Uh, again, good of the good of the Patriots player to immediately call over the trainers, just the right thing to do at the time. But it was one of those things where because of the fans and the stands not being there, we heard it in a different way than we would normally hear. And there, I, I think this is what you would call it here. There's something, <laughs> this is a, the more you know segment from your uh, strategy show. But I think that was what we call the call of the void, where we know that theoretically the knee can bend that way, but we don't really want to see it. But when it happens, we yeah, see it. It, it was... That's, yeah, terrible. <laughs> I digress. One of the things we want to say about this matchup is that the Ravens have offensive opportunities to exploit the Titans at almost every position group on offense. The Titans are actually third worst in the league in fantasy points allowed over opponent average to wide receivers. I know that's not a position group we love for the Ravens, but guess what? They're fourth worst against tight ends. That's a position group they do love with Mark Andrews still on the field. And Running backs and quarterbacks, the bread and butter of the Ravens, they're bottom six against running backs and bottom five 
against quarterbacks. So you're looking at a defense that has truly underperformed this season and an offense that feels much better in the Titans playing from ahead. Both these teams really, because of their run orientedness, they were, they would prefer to get a small lead and then run and run and run and run. I think the Ravens are finally going to get an opportunity to do just that this week. So my favorite play, of course, Lamar Jackson, he is the highest salary quarterback, but I think it makes sense more so than most weeks here. And I don't want to really play any of the running backs simply because it's getting spread out so much. They have five active running backs. If you include their fullback, Pat Ricard last week. So Ingram coming back, as I say in my matchups article this week, zapped the fantasy value from everyone but Jackson in that backfield. I'll go there or I'll go Mark Andrews because of the great matchup in terms of schedule adjusted fantasy points. Yeah. Mark Andrews is fine. Marcus Brown's been rough this year, man. And Lamar was, was forcing the ball to him last week. Just couldn't make it happen. Mm-hmm. Do you have anyone on this game that you really like this week? And I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I'll just ask you quickly before we move on, since we still have a decent amount of games to get to uh, Derek Henry is projected for like 5% ownership. And that's because he's in no man's land from a salary perspective and in a tough matchup. Now, mind you, he lit this Baltimore run defense up last year in the postseason, racking up, I think, like 65, 70% of Tennessee's total yards in that game. And then, or, and also in the, the, the Patriots game, but he, he is 5%, probably, I, I'm almost certain he's going to be very low on because you have Dalvin Cook and you have Kamara mm-hmm. and you have Chubb, Sanders, a bunch of other guys. Are you willing to say the ownership is too low there or is it still a spot that you want to stay away from? Uh, I actually think it is too low just because he, yes, he needs basically a hundred yards and two touchdowns to be three X value at his salary. We've just seen that so many times from Henry. So we have to say that the probability of Henry doing that is higher than the typical running back at this time. So I know that he is the third highest salary. I still think I'm going to go there and I might be a little bit above the field actually, just because uh, I've said this before, if you make a list of players who could hit 30 points or more, Derrick Henry is going to hit that list pretty much every single week. This week's no different. Okay. Pitt and Jacksonville. Steelers have been a strange team to target recently. One thing's for sure, though, is when Deontay Johnson's healthy, play the guy, especially when he's getting no ownership. Sorry, I'm a broken record here, but I'm going to keep throwing it out there. Don't ignore him just because he's got a little bit of injury proneness. Injury proneness is it's hardly even real. Like maybe there's some exceptions to the rule, but look mm-hmm. at Clay Thompson. This guy looks like oh. he might've torn his Achilles and he played almost every game for what, four or five straight seasons. Now you're looking at a two and a half period, a year period of time where he's been dealing with myriad injuries. The guy never got injured before. And then there's other players that get injured a ton at the uh, early stages of their career, Matt, and then they never get injured again. So at least not seriously. So, you know, if you're an Anthony Davis type, I get it. You can always point out exceptions to the rules. Right. For the most right. part, I'm not going to be looking at DeAndre Johnson and saying, not playing him, he's always hurt. Well, when he's not hurt, the guy's a damn stud. He's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And James Conner, what, yeah. what do you do? Let's start. I'm just going to let right. you run with the Steelers. I'm going to set you up here and, and, and turn it over. James Conner's had two stellar matchups in a row. One against the Dallas Cowboys. They go behind by two scores, and he does nothing. And then Cincinnati, they they blow their doors off. He still does nothing. As a matter of fact, he had like 
four for 25, averaging over six yards per attempt through the first quarter. And then he finished with less than three yards per carry. That's how bad he was through the duration of that game. Then you got Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster. Cleveland, or this Pittsburgh team has a lot of options. What are we doing with them as double-digit favorites over Jacksonville? Well, you, you actually said uh, two stellar games, and my eyes almost bugged out of my head because he had two stellar games. I mean, did I, say really- <laughs> I, I meant two, I, I said two, did I say games? Because I meant two stellar matchups. Oh, he had two stellar matchups. He really did. And <laughs> it sucks because I think he has a really good matchup again on paper. Fundamentally, we want to play heavy favorite running backs, even if they are on the road this week. So, oh, like you said, I mean, we're just really disappointed in the play of James Conner after he had that string of games from weeks two through seven, where he was over a hundred yards, four out of five games. He was catching multiple passes every week. And now all of a sudden we've seen uh, over the last three weeks, 60 total yards, 20 total yards in a win against Dallas. And now 48 total yards, really just nothing to write home about again in a win against the Bengals. I wrote in my matchups column last week that the way to attack the Bengals has consistently been through the air and good on the Steelers, even though they had a wacky week with Ben Roethlisberger not able to be at the facility, understanding the strength of their team and just throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing. And it resulted in a huge game from both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. And it wasn't like Juju Smith-Schuster was invisible either. Now, I know I've said this before. I still think that the salary hierarchy on DraftKings for these wide receivers is inefficient. We still have Juju Smith-Schuster inside the top 10 wide receivers. Chase Claypool is now the 11th highest salary wide receiver after another big game from him. But that makes Deontay Johnson technically the lowest salary wide receiver of this bunch, where I think the upside for him, as we saw last week, is the highest. So when we're talking about a value play at the wide receiver position, I can't really say that Deontay Johnson... Deontay Johnson might be the best value wide receiver when you consider the salaries of his teammates. So it's Connor and it's Johnson first and foremost, but man, we have to take a moment and talk about the level of play of Chase Claypool. I mean, we've not seen touchdown performance last week. I know he's in the right situation and there he's being utilized correctly, but we're also seeing him using this jet sweep running game a la Debo Samuel almost. Uh, if you think about the 49ers offense, uh, mostly from a year ago, but this year as well. And Eric Ebron is still involved as well. Uh, if you look at expected fantasy points, he's actually a top 12 tight end, even though you would say he's the fourth option in the passing game. So when you look at uh, expectation, uh, based on salary and then you look at projection eric ebron comes in as a value as well again my favorite here deontay johnson but just creating stacks from this game is really exciting i was a little surprised to see that it's only seventh among teams on the top stacks tool this week yeah i'm all about it matt and i don't the 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 shitty part about it is that so there's a there's a, a good and a bad a yin and a yang here right the 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 shitty part is that Claypool, DeAndre Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, I'll throw him into the mix as well. They're all capable of having big games. And one of them is likely going to struggle. Last week, we saw Juju, Claypool, and Johnson all go north of 20 fantasy points. That's unlikely to happen in back-to-back weeks, even in a good matchup against Jacksonville, especially given that James Conner hasn't been involved at all, and eventually he will be. The good news is 
None of them are overpriced. Like, you're not paying a premium for anyone here. Johnson's sub-6K. Claypool, 6,100. Juju, 6,400. He might be the one guy that's overpriced, but he's yep. still averaging over 10 targets per game over his last four. I love them as a stack. I'm with you. Uh, I liked them last week. I'll go back to them this week. I didn't have enough as a stack. I had a lot of Johnson last week. I wish I had more Ben uh, and, and this Pittsburgh stack. The big question is, um, and, and I'll, I'll just throw it over to you here because I don't want to spend a million hours on Jacksonville, but who do you run it back with in this tough matchup against Pitt when James Robinson's volume has been absurd, but he's actually looking to get ownership and he is reasonably expensive. And then you probably have Jake Luton and, and guys like DJ Shark that might be able to put up big games, but it's a tough spot. I agree. I don't have any problem running it back with James Robinson just because I'm gobbling up so much of the opportunity from that game, knowing if that game does have a few more touchdowns or just points in general than we expect, that I'm probably getting a huge amount of the touches and I'm getting a, a large amount of the touchdown equity from the Jaguars side of the ball. Now, if we look at schedule adjusted fantasy points, my favorite defense metric here, I do love that the uh, I do love the matchup like, for secondary receivers much more than primary wide receivers for the Pittsburgh defense. I was actually surprised to see Pittsburgh is the fifth worst team in the NFL this season in schedule adjusted fantasy points to secondary wide receivers. That week, that excuse me, this week that's Keelan Cole, and he had a big game last week at a punt return touchdown. And I'm noticing that the Osmo projection has it well, well inside this 49th wide receiver salary that he has. He's 3,800. So if I'm going to go for a receiver run back option, I think that's where I'm going to look first. It does look like LaVishka Chenault is going to play this week after missing time. So I don't think Chris Conley is a play here. I'm not, I'm not super keen on Tyler Eifert either, although he is just, uh, yeah, 2,700 I'm seeing in salary. So we could get, uh, yeah, he's the 24th highest tight end. He's a fine punt play for me. But again, I think my favorite runback option is James Robinson. His projection looks a lot better than the 11th highest salary that he has among running backs. I'm fine with it, man. I really am. Let's talk Cincinnati and Washington. But first, we are giving some good stuff away, well, essentially, for the holiday season. Thanksgiving approaching. The wife's already put up Christmas decorations, Matt. It's 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 insane. I've had to put the light up deer outside and everything. You know, you get the the pillows. The tree's not up yet. That's good, but whatever. My girlfriend says we can't start till Thanksgiving, so the the debate yep. is on. I'm ready to go. They say, and this is a study that she said she read, and by study it was probably in like People magazine or some shit. The people who put their Christmas decorations up early are happier. So. I don't know. Maybe I'm miserable, but uh, <laughs> no time to be miserable at Osmo because for $1 with the promo code Mayflower at checkout, we are giving you the Osmo NFL Express weekly pass for $1. That's all of the showdown content, the ownership, the player projections, the top players tool, uh, the express lineup builder, the express top stacks tool as well, which is used for all of the other slates, the rankings, dude, it is usually did it for for one dollar for the awesome plus weekly to dip your toes in see if you've been missing out on something for one dollar there's there you can't beat it you absolutely can't beat it so you know you have until well, actually when is this good until let me just make sure here it's good until eleven twenty six so it's good until the twenty sixth of November check it out 
You'll get into the premium Slack chat as well. It's an awesome community in there. People talking DFS sports, everything that you love, that we love, that we do these shows for is in that chat, is on the site. $1 at awesomeo.com slash join. Use the promo code Mayflower. Our NFL Express weekly pass for $1. We'll see you over there, guys. You got till the 26th of November. Great stuff. Cincinnati, Washington. Well, I guess we can start with Cincinnati here. Joe Burrow, rough game last time out. That's to be expected, man. Pittsburgh can, can make life miserable for opposing passers. Struggled a bit against Tennessee as well from a fantasy standpoint. But all in all, it's been an impressive fantasy rookie season from Joe Burrow. A.J. Green is $3,600. I think he's I think he's like 10th in targets in the league this year or something and, and has zero touchdowns. Something absurd, Matt. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on on Cincinnati? Uh, yeah, you mentioned it. If you look at expected fantasy points uh, or fantasy points above or below expectation, AJ Green is the wide receiver 111 with five and a half fantasy points under expectation per game. So you just have to say like he just doesn't have the the juice that he once had. It really is sad to say, but he's had plenty of workload. It, it just isn't there. Now, Joe Sorry, Burrow... 22nd in targets, but has no touchdowns. Just wanted to clarify there. Okay, yeah. It, it's still it's, insane. Yeah, it's just been ugly all around. And, and you feel for the guy, especially with all the time off the field uh, he spent recovering. But the bottom line is the NFL moves very quickly, and T. Higgins is definitely the wide receiver one on this team if you look at uh, ability right now. And that's what the DraftKings salary is re- reflecting here. And uh, again, I think that this game has a little bit more upside for the Bengals than I think they're getting credit for. I see that they're eighth on the top stack tool. Washington hasn't been exceptional defensively. They've been middle of the road, but they're just 14th in yards per carry allowed, 13th in yards per attempt allowed, and 15th in points per play allowed. So these are, this isn't exactly something that we need to say, all right, we're not playing the Bengals, who we know are a high pass volume offense. They like to they like to extend the game, add more plays for Burrow by throwing the ball an exceptional amount. I mean, he's number two in expected fantasy points, and that is because of his pass volume. He, If you look at fantasy points under expectation, he's actually wildly underperforming expectation. Again, because based on the volume, we should expect him to have even more points. I do think as time goes on, we've seen from these quarterbacks who get this time to work, work things out, especially number one picks, they do get more efficient over time. I really think that they are, they're a fine play here. And I was surprised. Are they still underdogs in this game? Uh, I yeah. actually think I think they're a better team than Washington. I know Washington might have the, the NFC East boost slightly to their record. But I, I like this team a lot. And, you know, we're still we're still waiting at this point in the week to see if Joe Mixon plays. I don't think he's going to play. If I had to guess, I don't, I don't think either. he's going to play. So again, I'm just really looking at the passing game. We know when they have Gio Bernard and Samaj P. Ryan, they actually just avoid running between the tackles more than most teams because they'd rather just air it out to their three receivers, uh, Boyd, Tate, and Higgins. So in terms of value, none of them completely pop off the page, but I think Tyler Boyd might be my favorite. He's the middle, the middle receiver, the wide receiver, 21 in terms of salary, and the awesome projections are better than that. Just 5,600 this week. So I think I like it there. You know, on the other side of this game, Matt, J.D. McKissick, I know I've talked about him a lot, but I'm fascinated by the the type of workload he's seen with Alex Smith under center 
And, you know, I, I harped on it last week, but hey, if you listened, it worked, right? It worked. He was $4,900. He saw 15 targets. Uh, now Alex Smith is targeting him on like 30% of his pass attempts when he's uh, under center this season. And it's it's a weird spot because really touchdowns can change the landscape. And, and, and when you look back and you just see fantasy points, they can kind of cloud your vision. What I mean is Antonio Gibson had the better fantasy game. Mm-hmm. But J.D. McKissick could have easily been that guy. Gibson had averaged three and a half yards per carry on three on 13 attempts. He had two rushing touchdowns, and then he caught four passes for 20 yards. J.D. McKissick was targeted 15 times and caught seven passes. Now, he doesn't. He won't have the same reception rate as other running backs who catch everything out of the backfield because he'll actually run some legitimate routes out of the slot, so on and so forth. But 15 targets after a 14-target game is pretty absurd. And there's going to be times where McKissick catches 10 of those 12 targets and you know goes for 80 yards, and you're going to be pretty happy about it. Because the truth is, with running back targets, even, even with him, there's a higher likelihood that they catch it than if you're a receiver like Brandon Cook. So I'm just throwing it out there. The, the workload has been absurd, Matt. And uh, J.D. McKissick seems to be here to stay, at least for now, with Alex Smith at the helm because he loves throwing to this guy. Yeah, well said. And yep, exactly about that running back position. Shorter passes in terms of depth of target are easier to catch in general. That's exactly why we see running back targets caught at a higher rate than wide receiver targets, simply because that average depth is lower. So you said it perfectly there. And if you look at one of my favorite running back metrics, I mentioned on the show already, quality opportunities, just a reminder, that's any kind of target or any rush inside the 10-yard line. J.D. McKissick is now eighth in the entire NFL in quality opportunities per game. That's including the whole season. So not just this stretch where he's been uh, basically the most heavily targeted Washington player on the entire team. But here's what's funny. If you break that metric down into its two parts, targets versus goal line carries, McKissick has the highest percentage of targets of any player in the top 40 running backs, 97% of his quality opportunities coming via the air. So you're still expecting Antonio Gibson to get a majority of those quality opportunities at the goal line. Antonio Gibson isn't doing poorly in that metric either. He's inside the top 30 running backs. But like you said, fantasy points can give us a little bit of blinders here. If you want to look at just the highest leverage touches, McKissick did outperform or outlook Antonio Gibson last week. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. That said, Antonio Gibson, his elusiveness on the amount of touches he's had this year is incredibly impressive. If you look at my data deep dive, he's still well, well above the historical trend line and clumped with players that we love to play every single week, like Kareem Hunt and even uh, Aaron Jones is right next to him in that metric there. And so we're looking at a player that talent-wise is appearing like the real deal. So even though we don't have as much opportunity as we might like, because my goodness, if he got McKissick's receiving work, he'd be one of the most valuable running backs in the league. I still really like it. And of course, the only other player you're really thinking about is Terry McLaurin. So it's pretty simple that way too. All right. Miami and Denver. I don't know how much you like on this Miami-Denver game, but guess what? We got to talk about it anyway. (laughs) Salvin Ahmed, uh, those of you guys that missed yesterday's show, 
You'll understand the joy in that name. The Miami Dolphins laying three and a half on the road. They've just been very good. And they're now three and oh with Tua at the helm. Uh, he's been fine. It's, it's been more so just the process of this team getting better and playing well. And we all know I'm a big Brian Flores fan. Tua hasn't had to do a whole lot, but here you go. Three and a half, more than a field goal favorite against Denver. Some people like Salvin Ahmed this week. I'm just not as high on him. I, I really, I, I think it could be a very trappy situation. And if he's getting no involvement in the passing game, you're hoping that he scores. Denver's run defense outside of that game against Josh Jacobs has been good. But uh, Flores, yours, cover both sides of this one, Matt. I just don't have a ton that I like in this spot. Yeah, it's a lower total game. We have this on the Denver side. We have so many players banged up, including Drew Locke, who's not at 100% uh, probability of playing. He definitely could sit. And, you know, it's certainly impressive to see Tua Tagovailoa start his career his, as a starter at 3-0. and But like we've said in previous games, he hasn't been asked to do so much as a passer. Uh, I mean, that first game especially – you know, I, I saw a decent quarterback last week, 6.8 yards per attempt. That's nowhere near the 8.9 he was able to put up last week against Arizona. But it, it's one of the things where he, we're still have, talking about an offense that is throwing the ball between 22 and 28 times a game, isn't isn't putting the ball in the air on the in the red zone that often. And Tagovailoa isn't running all that much. In fact, he only has 34 rushing yards the whole season so far in his three starts. Salvin Ahmed isn't the worst play at all, simply because of salary. He's under 5,000 on DraftKings this week. That's 33rd on the running back among running backs, and the projections obviously are much better. But then you got to ask yourself: Is the ceiling probability, the chance that he has one of those "you have to have it" kind of plays? How, what is the probability there? And it's it's probably pretty low. So I understand why you might want to go elsewhere. One thing I will say is if you expect the Dolphins to control this game start to finish, they are favored at this point. Ahmed's probably a decent play because he's coming in at 3% ownership or underneath that at this point. And, you know, he's inside the top 30 running backs and expected fantasy points per game. It's a thin play, but it's not a terrible play. I'm much more excited for Miles Gaskin to get back and see what he can do. Uh, He was having a great year before he went on IR, and this is his last game before he's eligible to return. On the Denver side, uh, again, right now our projections have Brett Rippon in. I don't know if Drew Locke is going to be able to play. The running back situation has been a mess. Philip Lindsay almost entirely phased out. Um, and it's not like Melvin Gordon is really popping off the page in terms of projection versus salary-based expectation. Just skip this team, Matt. They stink. Am I allowed to skip? Am I contractually obligated to talk about players like Tim Patrick, KJM, Hamler? I'm not so thrilled about Jerry Judy. The Miami defense, one of the biggest surprises of the year. Uh, They've been just fantastic in this last three-game stretch, and uh, I think they're the biggest reason why this team is three and over in that stretch. So I just don't love the offensive players in general here, like you said. Yeah. And we don't even know if Drew Locke's going to play. That makes it worse. If it's Brett Rippon against, as you pointed out, a Miami defense, that's actually played quite well. No offense banged up. Yeah. There's just, yeah. Jerry Judy's limited in practice. I don't know, man. I think there's, I think there's, I think there's better ways we can spend our time for sure. And, uh, Denver's implied total right now has got to be around uh, what 20 it's 21. Yeah. Let's talk about a game that <laughs> let's talk about a game that's equally 
unappealing on one level, but not necessarily as a whole. Chargers and the New York Jets, you've got the Chargers laying eight and a half points. Is There's no team that has been as good and as bad as the Chargers this year. They should have at least a 500 or winning record, but they find ways continuously to lose games. Now they face the Jets. They're, they're eight and a half point favorites, as they should be. They will win this game, okay? I know they've struggled. They will win this game, and they should win it handily because they are, this is what pains me, man, they are a markedly better team than the New York Jets. They've been a markedly better team than a lot of teams they face this year and still find right. ways to come up short or only win <laughs> by a small margin. But um, go ahead. What are you doing with the Jets first? I can't imagine it's all that much with Sam Darnold out and Joe Flacco at the helm. I know he had a good game, and it was fun to watch him play against New England. That game was awesome. But uh, I don't know if lightning ever strikes twice in the same place, especially when we're talking about Joe Flacco and the New York Jets offense. Hey, I could go to Jamison Crowder if you think that this game might have a chance of, like, slightly going over its total Uh, we've seen him be such a target hog. He's still in the top 10 in true weighted opportunity share and expected fantasy points per game as well. He's eighth in the league right now, and he's actually outperforming that expectation on a per game basis. He's just playing really well on a really terrible team. So I I don't mind going there at all. I'm staying away from this running back game. I I noticed that the projections actually have LaMichael Pirine as a much better play than his running back 37 salary. I I just don't see it even though the Chargers defense against the running back has been a little bit shaky at times. And, and one thing I'll mention about the Chargers before I go into the analysis of this game, I think I'm going to be really high on this team going into 2021. Right now they're projected for the fifth pick in the draft. They got Derwin James coming back. They got a bunch of defensive starters that are out for the year. We're never going to see them at full strength this year, but I think next year they're going to be, they're going to be a team Again, if they can stay healthy and win these one-score games. Biggest mistake you've ever made on air, Matt. Oh, here we go. Putting, well, we'll see it. Putting next faith year. in the – I'm with you, though. Look, look I, I'm being sarcastic. I'm with you. <laughs> but this team should have been good on a number of different levels in a number of different seasons. They can't figure it out. But, yes, the forecast for them looks positive. I've said that a lot. I don't know. There's just – there's so much potential and such little execution. Go ahead, man. No, I hear exactly what you're saying. I'm trying to I'm trying to keep my bias out of it when I talk about it. From a numbers perspective, I mean, it's been really impressive to watch Justin Herbert play his first eight starts. He's had the second most fantasy points by a rookie quarterback in NFL history through eight starts. The only one higher than him is Cam Newton's unbelievable rookie year where he just got off to the hottest start in the world in 2011, I believe. That said... Again, quarterback is a little bit of a flat ownership like tight end, but he's looking at the highest quarterback ownership on the main slate. And it's very possible, especially with these Anthony Lynn coach teams, that they actually just give the ball to Kalen Balazs way more than anyone expects. I believe I saw a press conference quote yesterday that Anthony Lynn called Balazs their quote main guy compared to Joshua Kelly. Uh, I see places that are projecting Balazs better than rookie studs like Clyde Edwards Hilaire this week simply because the Jets matchup is so juicy. I mean, I totally get it. They're seventh worst in the league in schedule adjusted fantasy points to running backs. And I think we're going to see plenty of opportunities for Balaj, who's just 5,600. The Osmo projection has him well, well ahead of that running back 22 salary-based expectation. 
I'm fine playing Keenan Allen, of course. He's high-priced, as always. And Mike Williams, just inside the top 30, also not a terrible stacking option. But still, I think Bellage is the best play in a game where they're heavy, heavy favorites. You know, I think both of us were surprised to see that the 7-2 and two Packers were coming into this game against the Colts as road dogs, right? Now, if this yeah. is home, if this is home, sure, you know, Packers favored three, three and a half points, but... Here you have it. They are dogs to the six and three AFC South leading Colts. The Colts have been good, but I was a little bit surprised by this. Maybe I, I thought I thought the Packers would lay like two points or something. Maybe even maybe even a pick them. I don't know. But it opened at Colts minus one. Now it's at minus two and a half. It's not that significant. If it moved through three or to three, then we'd be having a way different conversation. But sure. you know, Green Bay and uh, Aaron Rodgers is just. Aaron Rodgers is having an MVP caliber season. Had it not been for a couple of these other guys, I think he's still at least in the conversation. He's been great, Matt. And Devontae Adams has been great. And it's been the best quarterback wide receiver uh, tandem in the league this year. Alan Lazard looks like he will be back, uh, or at least they're hoping that he'll be back for this game. Aaron Jones has been back for a couple of weeks now. What are you doing with an expensive uh, yet very good Packers offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like you said, was really surprised to see Aaron Rodgers as a road underdog, even though they have the better record heading in, if only by one game. I, I think that Indianapolis defense is getting a ton of credit. There are some metrics that back it up, but less so than I originally thought. If, in my day-to-deep -deep dive every week, I look up the expected points per drive defensively and expected points subtracted per play. And especially in expected points per drive, the Indianapolis defense does look strong. But in games, even against the Bengals, they've given up 300 yards passing. I think Aaron Rodgers has a chance here to be one of the best plays on the slate. And he's under 3% ownership in our projected ownerships. So I, I think you could easily play Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, even though they're an incredibly expensive stack. We've said it before on one of these shows that if you use two high price options as your starting stack, and again, they're the third highest uh, stack probability on that top stacks tool. So it's a great place to start. And much lower ownership too. Exactly. You're differentiating yourself just by starting there. Yes, you're going to have to make choices with the running backs in that case, but that's how you just get leverage on the field just by having two great players in Rodgers and Adams. And like you said, uh, there has been one major hiccup. That was the Tampa Bay game where he looked atrocious. But in my data deep dive, I try to predict who the front runners for the MVP are. And it's Mahomes and it's Rodgers this, at this point in the year. So I like him as a, uh, as a motivated underdog this week. I think you could absolutely play that stack. Marcus Valdez-Scantling, you could say Lightning could hit, hit twice. He had a huge game last week. But I like the passing attack more than I like Aaron Jones as his running back for salary. Agreed. I think Kyler Murray's got to be in the conversation too. That team's six and three now. Yep. The wins were the part that were keeping him away. If that team gets first place, then Kyler Murray's absolutely in the conversation. Yep. So and they're in first place right now, tied with the Rams and Seahawks, but I believe they have the uh the tiebreaker. So tonight's gonna be a fun one. Really Again, will. check that out. Makajeski and I just did a show before this one for the showdown strategy show. And then tonight we got a ton of coverage, Alex, uh, Adam share 
and Josh Ingleman are going on live early tonight, 6.40 Eastern, leading you in the live before live with Alex Baker and Kyle Dvorak. And one more thing, Matt's got the uh, the matchups breakdown column on the site at awesome.com. It's free. It's awesome. So is the data deep dive. Really check those out uh, to complement what we do here on the shows. All right, Indianapolis, what are you doing with Phil Rivers in the backfield, which before the show I told you, I really want to get to someone here. I think the Colts can make some noise in the run game this week against a, a, a feeble ground or run defense for the Packers, but I don't know where to go. Yeah, exactly. It's really tough. And if you look at the Green Bay defense, by far the most susceptible position group they've had uh, they've been against this year is the running back. They're actually one of the best teams in the league against quarterbacks, against wide receivers, and against tight ends. And one of the bottom three teams in schedule adjusted fantasy points against running backs. Do you know if and, Alexander's going to be back this week? Uh, let's check it out. Remember, I forgot his name last time. We're going to go to ESPN injuries and see where we're at now. Um, He's yeah, he was a limited participant during Wednesday's practice. Again, we're recording this on Thursday morning for those watching it after live. So I think it's really up in the air. Uh, it says he also is dealing with a hand injury on top of recovering from the uh, concussion protocol. So it's really tough here. Of course, we want to go back to the running game because that's what Indianapolis tends to want to do. 55% of their total opportunities went to their three main backs. And for the first time this year, we saw Naheem Hines lead the way just in general, both in rushing attempts and in targets. And he made the most of it here uh, with a huge game last week. And the pricing in terms of sal salary this week, Naheem Hines is still less than Jonathan Taylor. Uh, He's 5,200 compared to Jordan Wilkins, 4, 4K. So I think you obviously want to go to one of those two. Ah, but boy, figuring it out is really tough. If last week is an indicator, though, this is Hines' backfield a little bit more than the public might realize at this point, which makes him a possible value. I'm, I'm very much interested in Naeem Hines. And it could, I think we both agree, it could backfire in a big way, right? It could. Downside I, is low. Yeah, I'm okay with that. If, if it's tournaments and Naeem Hines is coming in with virtually no ownership, right now Hines is getting 2%. You know, you don't need – if you get 10% Hines, you're 3Xing the field. He's 2.7. So, you know, you're 3, 4Xing the field, 3.5X. So that's crazy to me that – I get that he's not getting ownership, but I'm willing to take some shots there. The man has multiple touchdowns in two of his last three games, Matt. Touchdowns are volatile, but they do. Rivers is going to look to him in the red zone. I don't see any reason to think that he can't have a decent game at 5,200. Uh, and you know what? He's a pass catching back, too. He can make a little bit of noise there. But Jonathan Taylor, while I know you haven't lost faith, I haven't given up on him either. But Frank Reich and them are, are clearly, they're, they're clearly exploring other options. <laughs> yes, that's and, a great way of saying it. And Naeem Hines is one of them. So. That's where I'm looking here. I have no interest in the pass game. Maybe you do. If not, we can close it out with Dallas and Minnesota. Well, we got to talk about Michael Pittman. Seven targets in week nine, nine targets in week 10. He's by far led the team in opportunities at the wide receiver position. And we saw him have a 122-yard game last week. So I think there is some appeal there. He's still just inside the top 40 wide receivers in salary. At 4,500, I don't mind him as a stacking option with Rivers. 
though this team does not look good on the top stacks tool. I think they're tied for 14th on the top stacks tool this week. So it's the running gamer bust for me. And I think that pricing inefficiency with Heinz is just enough to push me over the edge there. Uh, if you look at expected fantasy points, Taylor and Heinz are actually right next to each other at 19 and 20 respectively. Only one of them is outperforming that expectation. We don't have to tell you it's Heinz, not Taylor. All right. Hey guys, one last request, hit that thumbs up button and uh, help us get the 50 K subscribers. We've got a ways to go. That's not lost on me. We're trying to get there by the end of the year. And the only way we can do it is with your help. Uh, if you like what we do at the channel and you want to help support us, the easiest and freest way is by hitting subscribe. But hey, it helps you too. You always know when we're going live. You always know when Awesome Mo is popping up on the YouTube. So we appreciate you. And uh, again, hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet. One more thing. Everything we do here is av available in podcast. Not the ones with no shelf life. So like not live before locks and stuff because that's pointless. But if we post a Thursday show for a Sunday slate or Wednesday for Sunday or whatever, uh, or, or golf, you know, you see the first look on a Monday for a Thursday, everything, podcast form, if you don't want to do it on YouTube. So many different avenues to listen and watch what we've got going on here. Dallas and Minnesota, let's wrap this one up, Matt. It's a marathon, baby. We're at about the hour and a half mark almost, making good time. Yeah. Dallas, making real good time, as a matter of fact. Dallas Cowboys, seven and a half point dogs against Minnesota. You've got Dalvin Cook. You've got Justin Jefferson phenomenal rookie you got adam dealing coming off a two touchdown performance they've got the, they've got the weapons but i think this is a game if i have to project this game right if i have to look at this and try and envision what's going to happen what they'd love to do is throw the ball 15 times and give dalvin cook as many carries as he can stomach but the caveat here as i turn this one over is dalvin cook ran the ball 30 times got bottled up pretty good against Chicago, and now he's playing on a short week. Is there any concern that he gets less opportunity this week than he did last week, especially if they go up early against a bad Dallas defense and a Dallas run defense that has been gutted on more occasions than I can imagine? <laughs> yeah, I think the probability is higher than usual since they played on Monday night, but I think it's still really low. Okay. Uh, I asked I, because he's $9,000. We have to keep the... We have to at least consider these things when a player is that expensive, you know? Absolutely. And I think there's, uh, there's a very basic way that the public is going to think about this game's game environment. And you sort of hinted at it there with the Vikings likely trying to control the game clock and just speed up the game in general by utilizing Dalvin Cook and the rushing attack. So one of the ways that you're going to have to think about this game is what do I believe could happen that the public doesn't necessarily believe will happen? And so playing this game just slightly differently may help DFS players this week. Dalvin Cook is going to be that chalk option, and for good reason. Obviously, the Dallas Cowboys have been atrocious against the running backs, against running backs all year. And, you know, you said Dalvin Cook was bottled up against the bears on monday and he that's was. only he was <laughs> don't don't say it he was he had 112 total yards Bro, he averaged three yards per carry they just because I, he true. got the yard I, I can give me 50 carries in a game i'll give you 70 yards just give me a hole here and there <laughs> but the thing is if we if we care about volume to that point i do it does it does matter and you know he's He's number two in expected fantasy points per game. He's 
almost 30% owned. So obviously there are lots of situations where playing Dalvin Cook, even though he is one of the best median projections of any player at any position on the entire slate, it just doesn't make sense. And so playing Cousins and Jefferson to be contrarian completely makes sense. Or even Cousins and Thielen. Thielen still ranks in the top five in true weighted opportunity share and quality opportunity share among wide receivers. He's still getting a ton of those high leverage looks that we want as evidenced by that two touchdown game. You know, he's just the leader in red zone and end zone opportunities. Touchdowns, obviously the name of the game in DFS. So I think I might play a little bit more of the Vikings pass attack then not not a huge amount, but just a little bit more as a contrarian option to Dalvin Cook. I, I get it. Dalvin Cook is the best play in this game by a country mile, but $9,000 salary, 30% expected ownership. We have to think about other, other ways to attack this game. And the passing attack of the Vikings has been honestly fantastic. They lead the league in yards per attempt this year. That really surprised me, especially on a per-play play. Uh, per play efficiency in an advanced metric basis, they haven't been that impressive. So I, I like the I like the Vikings in general this week. I'll get to them running and receiving this week. I like them too. Uh, and I will go to Dalvin Cook, but I am a little bit concerned, of course, just solely about the the volume there. And when I say bottled up, look, what I mean is from an efficiency standpoint, Dalvin Cook was not good last week. You give him 30 carries, it kind of doesn't matter. Right. But when you're $21,000 to play in the captain spot, you know, sometimes we're looking for more. But I, I'm in agreement with, with everything you said there on Minnesota. Uh, Dallas, I'll say this, and you can close the show out. I do think Andy Dalton, regardless of his struggles before the concussion, is a big upgrade from Danucci and whoever, whatever other outcast, you know, or sorry, cast off, they decided to bring back and th- strap a helmet onto and stick on their center. So discounts on guys like Amari Cooper, who before Dak Prescott's injury was the best statistically fantasy uh, wide receiver in the league. I can see myself getting to Cooper. If I'm MMing, I can see myself mixing in some dirt cheap Michael Gallup uh, and CD Lamb against the Minnesota team that has a, a really banged up secondary and has struggled to defend the pass unless you're going up Nick Fol- against Nick Foles in a really bad Chicago <laughs> offensive line. Matt, we're there. It's your time to close this out with the Dallas Cowboys on the road in Minnesota. Hey, great. I think it's a great analysis there. We're still targeting passing attacks in general against the Vikings, but because of the uncertainty related to Andy Dalton and his just ability to play average level QB play at this point is in question. I said that the possibility of him getting benched is non-zero in this game. And and unfortunately that's just the case when you've thrown for 4.9 yards per attempt in your game against Arizona and before getting injured, took a massive hit against Washington, but he still had 19 attempts. He was only 47% in completion percentage and 3.9 yards per attempt. That's just atrocious. That's just not That's just not good enough. And at the very least, against a Pittsburgh defense that has given uh, other passing games fits all season, Garrett Gilbert threw 38 times, ended up with 243 yards, and threw for 6.4 yards per attempt. Ended with the one touchdown and one interception. C.D. Lamb was the beneficiary there. So like you said, I I hope that we see just that baseline, even just six yards per attempt 
from this Cowboys team, and then there's a possibility we, we might want to be using them. But if the game plays out in the way that the Vikings want it to, where they're sl- they're just speeding up the game by going to Dalvin Cook and rushing the ball with, or adding extra dump-offs, then you're not really going to want to play any of these Cowboys because they're just not going to get enough plays. They're not going to sustain drives long enough, and the Vikings just limiting the number of plays in the game will affect them as well. So uh, I don't like Ezekiel Elliott all that much. He mentioned in his press conference this week that his hamstring is still tight. Uh, I I hate the sound of that, especially for a running back that has had such a high workload. And he's still 10th among running backs in salary. The Osmo projections are uh, way worse in terms of projection versus salary expectation for Elliott. But it's not like Pollard is cheap either. So he's 5,600, not egregiously high, but 22nd among running, running backs. And the projection, at least from a median standpoint, is way worse there. So I think... Amari Cooper as an MME option is fine. Just I think the expectations are low and you need touchdowns for them to work. So DraftKings preemptively priced up everyone. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the week, they overcorrected for the Mike Davis mistake. So now you've got uh, Madison at 6,200, Matt, right? You've got yeah. uh, a lot of the Jamal Williams at 57. Boston Scott is 5,600. The... Like, it's crazy. Gio Bernard is the one that's likeliest to get the start, and he's cheaper than five backups that have virtually no shot of getting the start unless there's a fluke injury midway through the week. So right. it's it's really strange to me. I guess overcorrecting is better than having Mike Davis at that price point, but let's close out the show with this. A question to you. I'm really fascinated by the 6K range of running backs this week. Rank these guys. If you have to write it down, go ahead. I'm going to ask you to rank these guys. Miles Sanders, 6,900. Mike Davis, 68. James Conner, 66. Ezekiel Elliott, 6,500. DeAndre Swift at 64. And James Robinson at 64. It just goes to show you how many guys are in this 6K range that could have pretty big uh, games on, on this Sunday. Wow, that was a lot of players. I think I like Robinson and Swift the best of them. And the rest of are just more situational situational picks so connor we like him because he's a favorite in the game not necessarily because we love the workload or the efficiency elliot i think he might be the thinnest of the plays but we like him because again he's still top three in the league in quality opportunities per game targets and in goal line carries he's always going to get him even though he has been incredibly inefficient there uh who were the other ones there Miles yeah, look, Sanders. You don't need to go through all. What yeah. I'm saying is, it's a stacked price range. Like Miles Sanders could have a huge game. James Conner against Jacksonville, ten point favorites. Elliott, yeah, they're dogs, but with with Dalton back, where he's going to be involved as a pass catcher too. Like there's just there's just a lot there in that range, Matt. A lot. Yeah, and I think uh, <laughs> I don't want to say play whoever you want, but pay attention to ownership. Think about your lineup construction in general. You know, if you're going to be using a player like Mike Davis, you're, that means that you're moving with the field on many, on many of your running back touches. That's not necessarily a bad thing if you're getting leverage on the field in another place, like your passing stack. It's a contrarian stack in that way. Or you can go to lower own guys and then use leverage specifically on that running back spot because there's uncertainty in this price range here. It really depends on lineup construction. The projections for these guys, you know, it's just minuscule. We're talking about just a couple points here and there. 
All right. Steven says Pollard is egregiously high compared to Salmonhead. I'm with you, man. It's weird. Salvin Ahmed, $4,800 cheaper than most of the, the, the backup running backs. So what can you do? Jordan, Jordan photoshopped the salmon onto Ahmed's head. That was good <laughs> stuff, Jordan. You got to start. Did you hold on a second? Did you, Jordan, can you hear me right now? Are you listening to me? Did did you not put that up on the screen after you did it? Oh, come it's got to go. Man. It's got to get off. Come on. You got to throw that up on the screen. Anyway, I got to, uh, I got to run. We all got to run. It's been a fun <laughs> show. Thanks for hanging out guys. We'll see you back here soon. All right.